So I guess now I can kind of move over to the Retro Horror Academy uh, segment, if you will. Um, so what this show basically was, like I mentioned earlier, I go through year by year, uh, you know, break down what happened that year in horror, and then go ahead and, uh, oh, you know, rank the movies. And then usually the top three, well, not usually, every time, the top three films would get uh, the awards, you know, the Bronze Skull, the Silver Skull, and the Golden Skull. And, uh, you know, I was kind of the whole gimmick behind it. Uh, funny thing was, I didn't actually have physical trophies for these uh, movies uh, until the end of the season. And back in November, because I, I bought these skulls, these ceramic skulls from Dollar Tree, and then I bought these little wooden bases from Joanne Fabrics, or Walmart, I can't remember, bought them from somewhere. But anyways, um, excuse me. I uh, bought these and then painted them up, you know, gold, silver, bronze. And then they were going to be like the physical trophies. I was going to hold them up like, yeah, the winner of the bronze skull is this film. And then, like I said, we, we cut it out, and now we're just doing this uh, via podcast with no picture. So, yeah, I got these uh, silver, I got these uh, go, this golden, silver, and bronze skull that I guess I'll just display randomly in the house. Uh, I don't know, I'll probably find a use for them later down the road. But anyway, just kind of, I thought that's kind of funny. So let's, let's get into it. Uh, I do urge, you know, anybody who wants to know more about, you know, these early horror movies. Uh, check out my Retro Horror Academy uh, playlist on the YouTube channel. Uh, yes, or you know, wherever you're listening. Um, if you don't, you know, if you don't know, you know, all of our uh, social media links are on uh, Anchor. And then, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on YouTube, you can just you know go to our page. But uh, yeah, uh, I, you know, I covered you know twenty something or yeah. 20 plus years, 24 years of horror there. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I feel like a lot of people should know about these movies. I'm not saying they're great. I'm just saying that, you know, these were the foundation on which horror was built on. So I really think that, you know what, Get, give them a check, check them out. At least inform yourself about them. You may find something you like. You never know. Uh, I was surprised to find, you know, some movies here that I really do genuinely like. Like, I will end up going out and buying them because I actually like these films. You don't have to buy these either. A lot of these are public domain right now, or all of them are public domain right now. So you can find these usually on YouTube or, you know, the, uh, oh, the Internet Archive, I think is what it is. This would have a lot of, you know, public domain music, videos, movies, stuff like that. Uh, anyways, you can find this shit anywhere. But uh, I wouldn't mind. I, I, they did a Dante's Inferno, and I would love to get that uh, from 1911. Uh, apparently, uh, Tangerine Dream did an entire like new score for it, and I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, that's that's something I would literally uh, invest some money into. So, um, yeah. So it, let's get to 1920. Uh, you know, at this point now, this is the era of uh, German expressionism, and uh, you know, anybody who's ever seen a Tim Burton movie, you know what uh, German expressionism and that gothic look is. You know, lots of points, lots of doorways that aren't perfect rectangles. You know, the windows, they're not squares, they're rhombuses, you know. Uh, you got roads that just kind of, like, you know, you, you, like from a perspective, you know, a road will always, you know, the, the, the side of the road will always kind of slant inwards, you know. You get this little narrow thing, but in a... Uh, and these German expression, you know, films, it's like you're already in, like, the narrow part of the road. It's, it's Gotham City. It's fucking Gotham City from uh, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. That's exactly what it is. So, anyways, um, 
that was kind of you know the big thing that kind of broke out this year, and it would get a lot of these uh, German uh, filmmakers noticed, and they would get you know called into Hollywood, and their careers would just kind of explode there. Um, you know, the biggies that they always talk about uh, from this era, from this year especially, is uh, the Cabinet of Doctor uh, Caligari and uh, the Gollum. Uh, doc, uh, cab, or sorry, the uh, rewind here. Uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That's probably the big one. Like that's the biggest example, uh, and probably the most you know best use of it. Like I mean, there really is no other film that really will compare as far as look and style uh, of the German expressionism than this one. Uh, and this thing uh, came out. And it's weird because when I looked it up, it was just like such conflicting things. Like some sources were like this thing was a huge hit right out the gate. And then others were like, no, it wasn't that big at all. It caught on later, you know, later on, you know, it would catch fire, kind of become the first cult film, uh, which I think one of the uh, critics, like, you know, newer critics in a retrospective said, like, it was the first cult film. And it's just like, but was it, though, if it was a big international hit right out the gate? I don't know. So anyways, um, The Golem's another one that, you know, had that kind of look and feel and vibe to it. Uh, the Gollum is actually the only version of the Gollum trilogy that, or full version, that's out. The first uh, movie, Der Gollum, um, it's lost. I don't know, you know, the film's damaged. It, you know, is considered lost of time. That's a lot. That's a lot of what I'm coming across when I'm looking at these early films. I'm hearing about like all these great films, but they're all lost. You know, so just one of those tragic things. Uh, the sequel, uh, the Gollum and the Dancing Girl. Uh, it too is mostly lost. I think there's like a reel left, and you can find it on online. But uh, yeah, the Gollum's the only one that really survived. And then I believe it, this the full title is like the Gollum and how he came to be. So these were the two big heavy hitters coming out uh, this year. But actually, we got several films to actually look at. Uh, this is actually the biggest episode, or would have been the biggest episode of the Retro Horror Academy. Uh, so here it is. We got six films that we're gonna rank. And uh, I'll start with number six. The number six film is a film called The Penalty. Uh, this is uh, Lon Chaney. And actually, I think this is like his first big film. This is his breakout film. And a uh, little horror film, or not even a horror film, sorry. That's why it's ranked number six. I want to express that right now. Uh, how I get these um, nominations, these you know, these lists is uh, first I'll go on Wikipedia and they just got like, you know, breakdown year by year, a list of, all the horror films that came out that year, or if they consider a horror film. So then I go to, uh, I cross-reference that with IMDb, because I'm a big fucking nerd when it came to this uh, channel, uh, or this uh, concept, and I make sure that they actually have two things. One, the horror um, genre listed for it, because a lot of times you'll go over there and it didn't say it's a horror film, and I'm like, well, you know what, if you can't cr- you know cross both these things off your list, you're not going to be put in there. And so... It must have horror as its genre listing on IMDb. And then secondly, um, I look at the release date. It has to have like, you know, a f- complete release date. Because a lot of times you'll find that these, you know, shorts are just kind of like cobbled together. And no one knows, any, like, you know, when it came out. And I'm like, that don't seem fair. Like, I want, I want you know, I want an actual tr- track. I want a trace. I want, you know, a record of, like, you know, when this film came out, what country it came out in, all that stuff. And sometimes you find it, and sometimes you don't. And I'm just like, you know what? It, to me, it didn't feel like a real release then. No one knows when it came out. The funny thing is, is, and it may be, you know, you may be asking yourself, like, well, come on, Daniel. That seems a little unfair. 
long time ago, records get destroyed, whatever, but it's like the very first horror film, it has a release date. There are, you know, reviews of it. There's, you know, a record of this film. So it's just like, no, if the first one can pull it off, the rest of them should be able to follow suit. So that's kind of my whole thing. And then, like I said, as long as it was released that year, I put it on the list and we move on. Uh, the other bad thing is I have to be able to watch this film too. And a lot of these films are lost. So can't get a copy of it, then you can't get in a thing. I, uh, the funny thing about that is the Gollum, I had to take both of them out because the first two, because there just wasn't a full version of it anywhere online uh, at all. And so it's just like, unfortunately, these were considered great films when they came out. But they have fallen by the wayside. So, anyways, the penalty, getting back on track, it's about this guy who's a double amputee who rises uh, through the ranks. Uh, you know, he's a criminal mastermind in San Francisco. And he's, you know, about to bring his, uh, you know, master plan how he's going to loot and rob San Francisco blind while also getting revenge on the doctor who amputated his legs. So, the first thing I got to tell you about this film is, uh, like I said, Lon Chaney's in it. It's his first major film. Lon Chaney, who is a master of uh, makeup, horror makeup, that's what he's known for. And even though this ain't a horror film per se, even though it has the IMDb listing as horror, when you watch it, it's not really a horror film. It's more of a crime drama. But uh, to achieve this double amputation thing, he custom made like these buckets with like a little thing cut out of them. And he literally, like he put his knees, like he sank down into it, but like he bent his legs, his bottom part of his legs back and then strapped him in a harness. So like he was bent like a fucking, you know, convertible sofa, you know, like literally his legs are folded up straight up his back and attached to him. And he was lowered into these buckets and then they put these pants on him. So you can't even tell. And they got, <coughs> sorry. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry, just COVID, we're fine. Anyways, he's got, you know, his legs up to his back. They're got a harness. He has a big overcoat. He's always wearing an overcoat, so that helps hide it. But when you actually see him moving around on set, it's fucking amazing. Like, it really is. I'm just like, I'm blown away by how awesome this effect looks. Like, for 1920, you can't even see. You can't tell. You, you just can't tell. And thing is, though, it was so hard for him to keep doing that that he could only film for like 14 minutes at a time. And then they had to cut and then get him out of there and he had to go rest up. And then he'd come back, get back in it, and shoot for another 14 minutes. And he could only do it in short bursts like that. And it's like, God damn, like talk about being a, you know, just a master of your craft and taking it so professionally. I don't know. That to me just blows me away. So when I watch this film, it honestly, it's probably my favorite film from this six, but I only rank it, or sorry, the Academy uh, only ranks it low because it's really not a horror film. I just kind of feel like, ah, uh, I know we're maybe splitting hairs when it comes to these later ones. I don't know, but to me, it just, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, so anyways, that's, you know, it has this incredible makeup job. Uh, he looks great. Although it's funny that, so how the movie starts off is uh, a doctor makes a mistake. He was trying to, uh, I forget, the kid had some kind of illness and he thought he had to amputate the legs. And so he ends up amputating both of them. And then another doctor shows up and is like, what the hell did you do? Don't, you know, you weren't supposed to amputate the legs. And, but the other doctor kind of covers for the doctor because he's young and he's like, you got a bright future ahead of you. And so he's like, we're going to, I'm going to, you know, I'll 
clarify that yes, you were supposed to amputate, so it's okay. But the kid overhears it. So the kid grows up a double, and of course, as he tries to tell him, like, I overheard him. They chopped my legs off for no reason. The doctors kind of work together and like, oh no, you know, it's the anesthetic. He he's hallucinating that he hurt us, you know. And so this kid grows up just hate filled. And he turns into Lon Chaney and becomes a criminal mastermind. The problem is, he's like when we get to that, you know, when we jump ahead, you know, to where we're at now, he's already the boss. He's already like this criminal mastermind. I was like, I would, the, to me, the better movie would have been seeing his rise to the top. I would have loved to see this, you know, double amputee guy where everybody is, you know, and they're too afraid to even make fun of him in an unpc time like the 20s. Nobody called him a cripple. Like, they would say it behind his back, but they were even afraid to do that because, like, what if he overheard it? He would straight up murder you. And I'm like, I want to see the viciousness of this guy, right? you know, his rise to the top, but they really kind of yada yada over that. I don't know. The movie's great, though. Uh, I was really surprised how much I liked it. Uh, while he's, you know, getting his, you know, crew together and he's got this ridiculous plan to have everybody kind of like rob these banks at the exact same time and loot at the exact same time. Like he's got his own little like underground army built up. He also ends up, um, hooking up with this, uh, or didn't hook up with her. Sorry. There's a young girl. It turns out to be the daughter of the doctor who amputated on him. Right. So he ends up, uh, getting a job, uh, being her model, you know, and he's modeling for her and she's a sculptor and she's making, a, uh, it's like the only horror tie-in, I guess, was she's making a sculpture of the devil and she's using him as a template. And anyways, so his plan is to get close to her and then, you know, kill her off uh, as his revenge to the doctor. Uh, really solid movie. Uh, when this thing came out, it was a huge hit. I forget the name of the director and I apologize for that. Uh, when I did the show, I had all these notes written out. This doing this like this, I'm just kind of breezing through it. But like, these guys are going to work together like another like, I don't know, a few more times. And I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, and forgive me if I am, I think they uh, would eventually do uh, The Hunchback and Notre Dame together, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the other interesting you know, footnote here is the producer of this film uh, was Samuel Goldwyn, who is, yes, that Goldwyn in MGM, Mayor Goldwyn Mayor. Uh, yeah, he was that guy. So it's funny that you know he did this film and then would go on to, you know, make MGM and, you know, all that. So I, don't know, I just thought that was kind of interesting as well. Uh, so anyways, yes, the the penalty, uh, it's number six. But I, if I'm being 100% honest, yeah, it's number one in my book, like seriously. Um, this film has a, a 7.4 on IMDb, and uh, it does have an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. I had these little notes written down, so I guess I'm, I'm full of shit when I said I was just going to, uh, you know, wing this but uh yeah so anyways the penalty so at number five is a film called anita it's russian and it's about this uh young girl who uh basically goes to this hypnotist who's not very good like it's a stage show and he's just kind of a bumbling idiot but he puts her under and bad things happen uh this movie was dreadful to get through it was really boring even the critics at the time uh said this was garbage uh this film would get remade a few years later and it would become a hit so, you know, we'll go more into that maybe down the road. But, yeah, this this film was just dreadful. But, you know, had more of a horror vibe than, you know, the penalty. So, it's number five. Uh, it currently has a 3.3 on a Rotten Tomatoes, if that tells you anything. So, 
or not Rotten Tomatoes, sorry, a 3.3 on a IMDb. So. so that brings us now to uh, The Golem, and that's number four, which people may be shocked that this is my number four and not higher on the list. Uh, and it's not it's not a bad film. I'll tell you right now, these, these films from here on out, they're not bad. It's just, I don't know, they, they hit me in different ways. And uh, I was so pumped to finally watch The Golem because after hearing how great the first two were and they were kind of erased from history, I was like, all right, The Golem. And I don't know, it's okay. I mean, I'm sure for its time it was fan-fucking-tastic, but watching it today, you're just kind of like, eh, it is what it is. The basic premise of The Golem is... Um, this rabbi, so you got this like in in this ghetto, and they don't explain. I don't know who is the ones outside of it. I, I guess this is a, a German film, so I'm guessing like you know the Ottoman Empire, or maybe it is Germany now. I, I'm sorry, I'm not great on my history. Uh, it wasn't one of my strong suits. Sorry, uh, but anyways, um, the Jewish people, you know, living there, they're being persecuted, and. It's getting to the point where, like, you know, the Germans... I'm going to say the Germans. I may be completely... It's, it probably isn't even the Germans because it's supposed to take place even further back. So, the Empire... We'll just say the Empire, like it's fucking Star Wars or something. The Empire is going to come down and basically uh, move all these Jews out of the ghetto and just kind of be like, hey, fuck off and go find your own area. And so, there's all this tension and a lot of fear in these neighborhoods. And so, this... The best way to describe me, I, mean, I guess he's like a magician... Uh, you know, the mad scientist with magic, uh, he creates this uh, figure out of clay, the golem, and he, uh, you, know, creates, you know, creates him to protect him against the empire. Or not just protect him, but protect, you know, his community. So that's the basic premise of this thing. Uh, so the funny thing about this is uh, Paul Wagner, who, uh, you know, he did the, the first, you know, golem, couple golems. He did another film too. I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, but you know he's big time director at this point in history, and he's turned out good stuff. And so uh, the thing is, though, the first movie he did, The Golem, you know, it was more in vain of being a horror film. But they made him kind of water it down. They took a lot, of, you know, a lot of stuff he wanted to do. They're just like, oh no, you can't do that. Uh, they the articles I was reading didn't really specify what they made him cut down on. But either way. It was never the version of the Golem he wanted to do, but nonetheless, it became a huge hit. And so they did a sequel, The Golem and the Dancing Girl. Uh, they brought him back to direct it. Of course, he he did it, but again, they didn't want him to do his vision. In fact, the Golem and the Dancing Girl is more of a horror comedy. I mean, I guess more comedy. I don't know if they even had the phrase horror comedy back then, but I guess the fact that it's a monster and this little girl dancing, I don't know. And once again, I don't know what the movie's about. I, at all, I just know that it was a hit when it came out. But again, it took away all the horror. I'm going to take a quick drink. So, more of a comedy. So, when it came time to do this third film, apparently he had enough stroke to be like, you know what, fuck off. This is my movie, and we're taking it back to its roots. So, it's actually, it's meant to be a prequel to the first film. But a lot of people say it's more or less just the remake. And... At this point, since the other two films don't exist, it really is just its own standalone story. But he did. I guess he included it to make it more darker. And there are, you know, there's a couple kills in this thing. So it's like, yeah, it is what it is, I guess. You know, it, it does classify as a horror film. Um, you know, it's very much what we'll see later on with Frankenstein. Uh, you know, the Golem, you know, he's just he's a, he's a misunderstood creature uh, who, uh, you know, comes. And the thing is, like, you know, they unleash it accidentally because, you know, you're supposed to, if you don't, I don't know. If you don't shut him down, so it sounds weird to say it like that because he's, he's made out of clay and words, but still, if you don't shut him down, 
during like some kind of lunar cycle or something like that, um, he can go on a rampage and nothing can stop him, right? Well, th- they say nothing can stop him. Something does stop him, but you know we'll get to that later. But anyways, uh, you know the magician's about to do this because uh, shortly uh, before you know the Jews were going to be exiled from their village, uh, you know the empire came down and they invited you know the magician to like a festival they were doing, and he puts on a magic show for them, and they love it, and they're just like, okay, you Jews are okay, we won't kick you out. So instead of just running home immediately and shutting the golem down, he just kind of procrastinates and then forgets to do it, and then the golem goes crazy and goes on a kill spree. Uh, throws one guy off a fucking building, uh, <laughs> which is batshit crazy. Um, so anyways, um, this film, uh, you know, beloved by everybody, it's a 7, 7.2 on IMDb, and it has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fucking fresh. So um, when it hit, when it came out, huge, massive hit as well. Uh, but just for me, like I said, I don't know. And maybe because I mean, again, it's just the way the story's told. But a lot of stuff you're just like, really, just do this or say the words now. Or it's funny because you know, spoiler alert: how he gets stopped in the end is he's got a little uh, the Star David thing in his chest. And it's the ambulance that has the word that was spoken into. And, like, the little girl, he goes to his kid. And it never really does say if he's going to hurt the kids or not. Like, I feel like he is almost like Frankenstein's monster. And he probably wouldn't have, you know, purposely hurt the kids. I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened. But maybe it wouldn't have been, you know, completely out of anger. More of an accidental thing. But when he picks the girl up, the girl just grabs that star right out of him. And he just tumbles down. And that's the end of the movie. And then, like, the villagers show up like, oh, shit, thank God. Uh... Yep, saved the day. And that's what it was. Like, the, the, the magician kind of gets credit for it because he said a massive prayer right before that. And then when they find it, they're like, oh, wait, your words weren't. And he just like, he's like, yep, yes, they did. And that's the end of the movie. Oh, it's ridiculous. But nonetheless, it's number four. So we're going to get into uh, the top three right now. And in fact, the uh, in the top three, the bronze uh, skull will go to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, in fact, this isn't even the only Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde to come out. I just didn't count the other one because I couldn't find a clear release date on it. But uh, apparently two of them came out the same year. And if you've been listening to the Retro Horror Academy, this movie's already been made like four or five times already. Uh, several times. A couple's been lost already to history. But we've already had uh, two of them, I believe, on this show already. Or in this segment already. So uh, here it is. This one is uh, gets the bronze. We all know the story by now. Dr. Jekyll, uh, in this version, he's purposely trying to make a formula that brings out your dark side. He believes every man has a dark side to him, and he wants to prove it. And, of course, when he brings his out, it's, you know, Mr. Hyde. And, of course, he's a murderer. Uh, this one, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I really liked, uh, I forget, uh, the one that had King Baggett in it. I can't remember which year that was, but I, I like that one. But I don't know, this may be my favorite uh, Jekyll and Hyde from the silent era, anyways, uh, of the bunch. It has uh, John Barrymore, uh, grandfather of Drew Barrymore, as the the title character. And uh, I don't know, in, in this one, when it came out, uh, it had mixed review, or uh, kind of a mixed reaction. But a lot of people really praised his work. Like, they all praised, like, John Barrymore as the character. The story itself was kind of hit or miss, they said, but they really liked John Barrymore as, you know, Mr. Hyde. 
or I guess Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, this, like I said, I don't really know what to say about this one because I kind of already said everything about the other ones. I kind of agree. Uh, you know, I think his performance kind of makes this a step above the others. But, I mean, it's the same basic, you know, thing. He, you know, takes the elixir, starts, you know, wigging out, attacking others, trying to kill others, and then, you know, eventually they all come to him. And he ends up taking his own life, and that's the end of that. And there, there it is, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Boom. Number three, easily. Uh, this thing had a uh, 7.0 on IMDb and a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. That don't sound very mixed at all, actually. That sounds like it's pretty pretty high up there. So, either way, there you have it. That was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, so, the number two film uh, of 1920, or number two horror film of 1920, winner of the Silver Skull Award, movie called Genuine. Uh, this movie uh, was the film that basically, uh, oh, I'm blank on the guy's name, Werner Cross, is that his name, Kraus? The, the director of uh, Dr. or sorry, uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Well, he did this film as well, genuine. And uh, this he did it afterwards, and it always gets kind of overshadowed. I'll be honest with you, as a member of the academy, I struggled not making this number one because um, I like both films. I like genuine. I like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And I don't know when I watched this one, I kind of dug it more initially, but then. When I reflect back on it, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I feel like Dr. Cal- or uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari just kind of deserves the golden one just more for its thing. I don't know. Maybe it's controversial. Maybe it's controversial. Uh, this film plays out a lot like The uh, Student of Prague. Just this girl who uh, kind of puts, you know, she comes in and just everyone just falls for her. They all fall in love with her and it leads to just the down, you know, downfall of, you know, this family, this uh, the town uh, kind of thing. I, but the look of the film, it's very, like I say, it's very much in that German expressionistic, you know, thing. Um, this movie isn't as well known, so you know it has a six point, or sorry, a six point zero on uh, IMDb. Uh, doesn't even have a Rotten Tomato, so it's like, uh, that's that you know is what it is. Uh, I definitely recommend this though. I think you go out of your way. There are multiple versions, uh, multiple runtimes because whenever this thing did get released uh, to a wider audience, because initially it was, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was. Considered lost for a while, and when they found it, they you know sent it out. But then people, kind of producers, different, uh, different producers cut it, and yeah, so you got different run times. Uh, so there's like you know if, if you're not in something that long, there's a short version on YouTube. I think the longer versions on uh, the Internet Archive, if I'm not mistaken. Either way, genuine number two, and of course that leaves number one winner of the Golden Skull Award, the number one horror film in 1920, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Calgary is uh, the hypnotist that goes, you know, town to town with this. Uh, I don't know what sombolus. Is that how you pronounce that? I don't know what the fuck that is. That is a dude in a coma that he can just say things and wake the guy up and make him do his bidding. And of course, he makes him commit murders for him because uh, Calgary is an evil guy. And Caesar's in a coma, so Caesar has to do what he says. Uh, so this is a film that you know, I really dug when I watched it for the first time. Uh, a lot of people hate the ending, which is the, it was all a dream, you know, this is all in the guy's head in a mental institution. I loved it. In fact, I loved it so much that years before I even watched uh, this film, I did a story, uh, wrote a script, never did, you know, do anything with it, but uh, basically at the very end of the thing, when all is bleak and you think our main characters are going to die, uh, it just cuts to this mental institution and you realize that Everybody who died was actually just other patients 
uh, and then the uh, one of them was you know going to be a doctor or whatever. But you realize these all these people are inside this um, mental institution, and I thought that was the most brilliant. And you got to remember, I was like. I don't know, 18 or 19 when I came up with this. I thought it was the most brilliant twist in the history of cinema. Yeah, I remember. I hadn't seen a whole lot at that time, but I thought it was brilliant. And then when I go back and look at it, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And then I watched this film like years later. Like, and, you know, the movie is, I mean, the script was pretty much just shelled. I didn't, you know, follow through with it. But when I watched this movie, I was like, oh, shit, they stole my idea. And I'm like, oh, shit, this thing came out like fucking years ago, like 80 plus years ago. God damn it, that I stole from them. So, uh, but thing is, like everybody hates that ending, and I'm like, I don't know. I think the ending's fucking brilliant. That's what I loved about it. Um, this one, like I said, it's very divisive. It's funny because when I'm reading everybody's like interviews and what people were saying about the film at the time, it's like it's all conflicting. Some people claim like you know that ending was tacked on because you know producers didn't like the idea that you know that the world would look this weird and, you know, out of it and, you know, can't have that, you know, make it in the, you know, the mind of a madman. And then some people were just like, no, the script said that that was the ending all along. I don't, and it just seems like everything was just kind of contradictory. If you get a chance, look into this, check it out, the story. I'm running a little long right now. I just hit the, uh, past the hour right now, so I'm going to kind of wrap this up. But yeah, everybody just kind of has their own conflicting whatever about this movie. I enjoy it, uh, but the, Problem I have with this, and problem I have a lot of the early uh, silent films, though, and even the ones on this list that we just talked about today, with the exception of the, the penalty, they all, even if they run an hour, which some of them run longer than that, it just seems like there's a lot of filler. And it's, it's, I don't know. A lot of times I find myself bored about midway through until the action picks back up. And, uh, you know, Dr. Calgary is no exception there, but the look of the film's incredible. The storyline's awesome, and it's just, I don't know, it's really good. In fact, uh, big you know, if you're a big Rob Zombie fan, I remember, you know, I, I was a Rob Zombie fan before I saw this movie, so whenever I saw, you know, his video for Living Dead Girl, and then I see this movie, I'm like, oh, shit, that's where he got it from. Like, awesome. Um, this movie has an 8.1 on IMDb, and 99%, or, uh, yeah, 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. This film made, like, I don't know, like, a little bit less than like four thousand dollars, but that's a lot back then in like you know nineteen twenty money. So I mean, it was it was a huge hit. It was a huge fucking hit. Still is to this day. I mean, people, you know, this is like one of the go tos when people get like public domain movies or you know when you got to have something to play in the background on your film and you don't want to pay royalties. This is one of the go tos. This Not Living Dead and uh, Found the Opera it, can't go wrong with any of those three. So. Anyways, that's it. I'm going to wrap up this first episode. 